Hey, this is Citizen Reporter number 455 for the 4th of October, 2013. Greetings from somewhere in New Jersey. This is Citizen Reporter. I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. Some people know me as Bicycle Mark. Both names are acceptable. And you're joining me for another podcast. Today, I'm actually going to go back in time. Uh, First of all, I'm on the road. Uh, Some of you already knew this from the website or from social media. I'm here because I have to come here sometimes to say hello to my people, and also because there is a symposium I'm participating in at Brooklyn College. More info on that coming up uh, today, though, on the program. I'm actually going to make up for lost time, because this summer I did a podcast that I never got to publish, and it was done in August, which is now more than two months ago, or at least two months ago, and it's with... Uh, Rabble, who was actually the first Twitter employee. And, you know, everybody is so into Twitter and talking about what good it is and what a difference it's made, where and what situation. Well, today we put that to the test a little bit. We bring that topic to the man who has watched it all unfold from the inside. Let's, let's go back in time. Come with me. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to uh, citizenreporter.org. Mark here, and I'm seated laying half on beanbags next to Rabble. Hello, Rabble. Hey there. And uh, it's uh, day three or four of uh, Hacker Camp, or uh, OM, as it's more commonly known, where there have been a lot of talks, both in big tents and outside, uh, between little tents, about uh, all kinds of issues, software, hardware, life, uh, conflicts, uh, everything, uh, food, and, and I shouldn't even try and list it. But, um, Rabble, you, you gave a talk uh, during these last few days uh, related yep. to Twitter, which is, for anyone listening, people know what Twitter is. I don't think that's a, an issue anymore. <laughs> Um, and, you know, you and I were talking on a dinner line, in fact, um, and, and you were giving me a little preview about the talk and, and just talking about first fact that I never knew, and I think a lot of people do not know anymore, or if they ever did, that Twitter, when it began, was to some extent uh, supposed to be a tool for activism. Sure. So Twitter, Twitter itself was an attempt to solve this problem of easy, fluid communication of what's going on, being able to update it stuff. What happens if your your phone was a publishing medium? And it was uh, based on uh, some prototypes that some of us brought into the office of work we'd done with TextMob. And TextMob was a SMS-based social network that was created for activists to coordinate street protests, specifically the Democratic National Convention and Republican National Convention in 2004. And so uh, it it was an interesting way in which you could uh, send messages back and forth to groups of people or do broadcasts or individual messages. But it, it had a few restrictions 
um, uh, there, there was just strict group membership, so everybody in a group could send messages. It didn't have the follower relationship that Twitter had. And you had to sign up on a website and uh, uh, join it. You couldn't join directly from your mobile phone. And so we were saying, well, what, what if we removed all these restrictions that existed within TextMob and made it more fluid? What if we fixed the user experience some and relaunched it as a new thing? And that sort of became what Twitter is. Hmm. It was very directly based on how do you adapt this, this text mob thing and this idea of text messaging as a social media uh, and a way of communicating um, and make it, you know, it was originally called microblogging. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. if you, what if you create this sort of limited version of blogging that was all driven by your mobile phone? And that sounds odd nowadays because Twitter in its current form is of course we, there's a lot said about what it's used for and when it comes to activism but it's also a very mainstream uh you know be it hollywood or for non-activist purposes uh seen by a lot of big companies as as not a tool for activism necessarily but just a uh, a pr or a communication tool generally well there, there was always the idea that twitter could be gain mass acceptance and it wouldn't just be for activists that all sorts of people could use it in fact um, at one point early on, they uh, sent a business biz dev guy down to Hollywood to try and find who he could uh, sign up, what kind of stars yeah. he could sign up in Hollywood. And um, I think he got the, uh, the second string uh, script author for My Name is Earl to join Twitter. And at the time... I, this guy probably is going to hear this at some point, but like he was the big celebrity on Twitter. The big celebrity was like the guy who wrote the script for My Name Is Earl, but not the main scriptwriter, the secondary scriptwriter. Um, and it took a really long time before this thing that seemed like it might be a good idea for people to have direct communication and sort of various personalities to have for it to actually adopt. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, the, you know, the idea is just what is the most lightweight communication medium possible mm-hmm. and uh, it, it turned out that the same thing that was the most lightweight medi- communication medium possible for sort of networks of grassroots activism also works really well for politicians and movie stars and and uh, you know football players and all these different things mm. but also over the years and I'm curious about your, your own experience as, as even a user I mean also having been the first employee, right, for, yep. for Twitter. Um, have we seen the limitations? Do you see the limitations of this tool? And I mean, and then from there, I mean, does it make you look at what what you could do different, a, a different kind of tool? Well, it, it is certainly limited. Um, there's only so much you can say in 140 characters. Um, that, yeah. the, it is incredibly fluid. Ideas flow really quickly. I've had... Uh, wrote wrote tweets that had 10,000 retweets. And it turned out that it was a misattributed quote. The quote was real, but I attributed it to the wrong person. But there was no way to go back and fix that. Um, So that kind of thing is fascinating. Um, Even once you figure out that there's misinformation, it's very hard to correct on Twitter because it's so fast and flows so well. So you... you, uh, it's, uh, but it's also possible to verify things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not necessarily any more or less accurate than the mainstream media. It's just it's as if everybody had the mainstream, you know, if everybody had the voice. Right. You have to have a little more care about it. And 
the interesting thing about Twitter is you think about it just as the content itself, but often Twitter is used for links. It's used for news discovery. Mm -hmm. And yes. so when you think about it as not the content itself, but almost the metadata about the conversations, the, the ephemeral parts, and that lets different people be curators and selectors of news mm -hmm. and the way in which news spreads, then Twitter's role in the media, your, the perception of Twitter's role in the media shifts. It's not the place where authoritative information happens. It's the way people discover what, what conversations and what things are interesting to read. Um, and the way in which people sort of follow breaking news and what's going on and breaking ideas. Um, and so it, Twitter without uh, other ways of publishing would be very anemic. And, and a couple of the Twitter guys have gone on to create something called Medium, which is sort of a publishing platform that's really actually very well built. It's beautiful. Really nice publishing platform where unlike a blog where you're supposed to do a whole series of posts, it's about a one long form article. You go in and you write something and it exists for a long time and has a long-term value. And so it's the other extreme of Twitter. Twitter is all about these rapid fire uh, tweets that go are very limited. And Medium is all about the breadth and depth of content. And so uh, I think the two play off really nicely to each other in terms of Twitter plays its role about discovery and sharing information. Everything's really fluid. And, and you can you have hashtags, which are amazing. I thought they were dumb when they originally came out, but they're amazing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because they give you a common sort of naming convention. Hashtags are the most common tool that we use to sort of attach identity to conversations and places on the internet after the domain name system itself. Except it's very different than the domain name system because anyone created hashtags. It's actually much more open and democratic. And there's all this playfulness around hashtags and all these jokes and memes and ideas around this, this, this thing, which is hashtags, which you can then create common conversations about. And yeah, sure, people put you on all sorts of random things. You end up with clashing namespaces of two different people using the same hashtag for different things. You've seen that happen. Um, but it's, it's very open and, and limitless in the way in which those kind of communications happen. And that, that's really powerful because so rarely do we get these lightweight communication techniques that let us build sort of it does group building and group forming and lets you create spaces out of nothing in sort of human communication across time zone and location and community. So coming here, I mean, I, I'm, I know that you come here because it's a pleasure to a large extent, but you also gave a talk. And uh, what's, what's your thinking when you, when you give that talk? Are you, is there something that you want this community or anyone watching out there to think more about when it comes to this this tool or tools like it there's over the years there's been a lot of discussion about twitter as an activist tool and <laughs> um people saying that twitter activists aren't real activists everything else and 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 i just wanted to set the record straight that twitter is one tool of of many and just like you might say someone is a, a website activist or an email activist or a, you know, <laughs> an, an like a, 
someone who is in Occupy Wall Street, the only tool of activism isn't sitting on a park and camping out in a park. Twitter is, is one tool of many, and it's a tool that uh, always from the start was thought of as something that might be useful for activists. And it wasn't built for activists only, but it was modeled off of behavior that activists who are trying to advocate for social change were doing, first and foremost, and then attempted to apply that to rest of the rest of society. Feels like at some point, uh, but I guess that's depends on how the individual user follows people or doesn't follow people, uh, what they want to know. But it seems like at some point you, you, what's the word? Like you get saturated. You know, you. It used to be very interesting that you could have access to a reporter or if you were into celebrities, I guess, uh, or a company, and that they would notice you and that they could answer you back in a way that you, you couldn't have a do. Conversation. But it seems like you reach a point where we're back to the same problem we used to have, where if it's if it's by the phone, too many people are calling customer support, or if it's if it's through whatever communications means, a lot of people who have a large following or a large audience couldn't keep up. And then in the beginning, everybody's oh wow, Twitter. Well, there's a place where people answer you. And I keep looking and saying, I see an end coming to this. Well, so that Twitter doesn't replace the existence of the Dunbar number. Twitter doesn't replace the existence of the psychological limits to the number of people we can actually keep track of and know um, and have real social relationships with. It may make us feel like we have social relationships with other things. And it, it, it plays this really weird trick on you in that you can follow someone on Twitter and you can see about their life and you can have this perceived intimacy that uh, even though you don't actually know that person or you don't know them very well. Or like, so it gives you perceived int int intimacy with all these people and you don't actually necessarily have any connection with it. And then people you do have connections with, it's very weird, say someone you haven't seen for six months but you follow on Twitter, um, who is a friend and you start off your conversation having not seen that person for six months at a very totally different level you would have otherwise. Mm -hmm. Because you know the minutiae and the ins and outs of their everyday life. Um, and so when it's people who are actually your friends, it's fantastic. When it's, you know, there's a, a phrase that floats around about Twitter and Facebook. And it says that, uh, Facebook is the social network of your high school friends, high school and college friends. And Twitter is the social network of the school of your dreams. So there's all this aspirational things in which we're, we're inserting ourselves into the lives of others um, in a social way, um, but we don't actually know these people. And it, it, we, we let ourselves be tricked into thinking we have more of a connection. We used to do that with blogs, didn't we? I mean, when the, in the good golden days of blogging? Sure, sure, absolutely. You do it with blogs, too. Uh, but it, it was took more time to do it with blogs. Because <laughs> blogs had more content. You know, it, it, was, it wasn't just, you know, these Instagram pictures and, uh, you know, uh, tweets and, you know, where am I and what am I doing and yeah. little videos and links about stuff. And so it's much easier to keep track of all these people and, and 
trick your brain into thinking you have intimate connections with many more people than you actually do. And that's, that's tricky. I don't know what, I don't know what the end result of that will be. That's, that's very interesting. What's your Because the idea of Twitter was to keep track of people you actually know. <laughs> like, there was no idea that you might follow people you didn't know. And I actually, for many years, only let people follow me on Twitter who I had met and hung out with personally. That's your rule. Yeah. The only people who could see my tweets were people I knew. Like, really knew. Not someone I'd met casually at a party, but, like, people I knew. Okay. And then, you know, now I have, like, 12,000 followers. I don't have any <laughs> idea who those people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I have all these people who have this weird, like, casual intimacy with my life and what's going on with my kids and where I got delayed on a flight and, you know, the new house I just moved into and all these other stuff and where I am and what I'm doing. And they have that intimacy with me, but I don't know who they are. That's weird. Mm -hmm. And I don't have many followers. Like, imagine people with millions of followers who have the intimacy of friends they get together with once a week. But, but they don't know who they are. That's weird. It's, it's, it's as weird as the transformation in music when recorded music appeared. So, like, before recorded music appeared, you only heard musicians playing live. Right. Like, there wasn't the ability to play for a million people. You could play for a thousand people. That would be the most enormous concert possible. A couple thousand people. But usually it was, you know, music for dozens. And you had a way of connecting with and seeing and, and knowing the musician that played for you. And the musician connecting with the audience who was there. And then music went into recorded things and you have this view into the musician's world, the musician's life, their creation, which is divorced from the physical connection of them. And so... What, with Twitter, we've, we're doing that for the ephemeral of our lives. Yeah. Um, and everybody. That's just really weird. It's amazing when somebody dies and they, you know, they've tweeted up until the moment. Or not up until the moment, but you know, up until that day because they didn't know or whatever. And Yeah, there's people on Twitter, you know, you see it all the time. People, you know, I, I, I saw... The Twitter accounts of these two women who were going out in some town in Maryland and they were drinking and hanging out and they were tweeting about how they were sitting on the railroad tracks and then they were sitting on the railroad bridge and then, then the last thing was like photos of them uh, in their town in the middle of the night on the railroad bridge and a train derailed and yeah. killed them. Yeah. And, you, and, and you as and then a follower would be sad as... Uh, as maybe you'd be sad when a, a real life or non-Twitter friend died. And I didn't know these people. I only read the Twitter accounts after they died. Mm. But it was amazing how you get this sort of real intimate yeah. vision. And it, maybe not the truth, but it's, it's okay. the way in which they want to perform yeah. to others about their lives. I find that interesting that you said earlier when you were talking about how this makes you feel or what you think this all means. You say weird. Uh, so that tells me you're not saying it's bad, because sometimes I wonder if it's just bad. <laughs> no, I, I, I love Twitter. I use it tremendously, but it is weird. Mm -hmm. Just like the telephone is weird, just like the mobile phone is weird, just like 
the TV, when there was only a couple broadcast channels in each country, created this massively uniform common culture of everyone watched the same thing at night. That was massively weird too, and not necessarily good. Um, So Twitter is this new weird. I had a student uh, was teaching a class somewhere on um, new media, and so talking about different tools, this was a year or two ago, and I mentioned, of course, Facebook and different ways it's being used for activism or otherwise journalism, and um, somehow someone started complaining about how people say happy birthday to you on Facebook and how meaningless this was to her. And she said, if you're really my friend, if you really care, you call me. At the very least, you call me. And, uh, and, I, and I said, not having been there, of course, because it's too long ago, but I said, you know, I bet when the phone came out, people were like, ugh, if you really want to wish me a happy birthday, don't call me. Uh, you know, send me a letter or, or come to my house. Uh, but I thought of it as, it depends on the time in which you, you know, you see this transition happen. You'll, you'll say, ah, this doesn't mean anything to me because it's too easy or it's too modern or whatever I, it is. I'm not sure I've even told any of my friends what my phone number is. Well, there's that too. You can't call. Yeah. Like, I have a phone number. It's on my business card. Uh, but if I got a phone call, I'd be really weirded out. And uh, I use my phone call for business meetings and coordinating meeting up someone when I'm meeting, like, like physically meeting up with him. Mm. And that's it. That's like, uh, for me, the phone number is is not at all an essential thing. <laughs> um, and uh, But it's just like the way you connect yeah. with people and, and you know... And Facebook does encourage you to say happy birthday. But so does Skype. I mean, does this person get upset that Skype things? You know, I get all these, like, notices from Skype from all these people that I talked to once years ago saying it's their birthday. And then, like, I'm not even sure who these people are anymore. Um, You know, Facebook has let people maintain tremendous connection with their own past. Um, and maintain connection with all sorts of people that they couldn't, wouldn't have maintained connection to a known. And that, that's fascinating, but that's, you know, that's not what Twitter does. Twitter sort of is very aspirational as opposed to very real. Rabbi, last question, and out of curiosity, um, you're here, you're, you, the talk was mostly uh, about, uh, well, exactly what we've talked about with Twitter and, and as a communication tool. Is there a project that you're now focused on that's somehow related to, to communication? I actually don't know what you're... You know, what's on your mind these days? Is something you'd really like to do or like to see develop that you might be involved with? So, uh, I, um, the big project I'm working on right now is a couple of massive multi-stakeholder decision-making platforms. So I've got a big project that I just kicked off to try and figure out how people engage with and make decisions within ICANN, which is one of the internet governance bodies that does DNS. And so they've hired me in the company I work for, Neo.com, to... Uh, restructure how how their web engagement works and how they, they run participatory consensus-driven democracy for running our domain name system. So there's that, and then there's some activist groups here in Europe which are doing very similar work but for a grassroots level, so creating tools for grassroots social movements to make online collaborative democratic decision-making. Um, so I think that's a fascinating thing and process. And some of those folks are here. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, that's that's the the main sort of project that I'm working on right now. I'm working for a company called Neo.com, and we do consultancies. But the the and I'm CTO of the companies, and we got about a hundred people, software developers, and offices on four continents. Um, but uh, 
my primary projects, other than recruiting developers and keeping them happy, is is sort of these big, sort of massive online democracy projects. Yes. Which uh, which are hairy, but it's you know it's feeling like it's a tackling big meaningful problems. Yeah. Okay, Ravel, thanks so much. Uh, yeah. It's been nice meeting you actually. It's the first time yeah. we met this at this camp, and uh, we look forward, I think, to hearing from you in the future. Absolutely. Okay, so back we are here in my mobile studio in New Jersey, and that was Rabble speaking to me at Ohm 2013, the hacker camp that took place back in August. And it's one of those topics. It's Twitter. We use it for different purposes. Not all of us even use it, but we're well aware of it, and you can't avoid the, the hashtag when you watch television or it's noted on different advertisements. This tool has some power in this world, some usefulness, and some non-usefulness, some distraction. And I thought it very interesting to sit and talk with someone who worked on the inside and knows it intimately, and can tell you both the good and the bad. So I hope that this was insightful. I think it was, it was really fun to get to meet Rabble. And like I said in the interview, I met him just standing in line somewhere. And finally today, I wanted to say two things. One, Thanks to everybody who donated. You know, last podcast I talked about financial difficulties and the search for better and more work. And people came forward through PayPal and through Flatter and sent a bit of money. And I'm very, very thankful to you for that. And so next week, I guess let's look at the date here. Uh, Media Nights 2013 takes place at Brooklyn College. That's October 15th and 16th. I'm speaking, I'm fairly sure on the 15th of October at 6 p.m., and it's at Whitehead Hall. If you search for it, Media Nights 2013 Brooklyn College, you'll see the, some information. Uh, I don't know if seats are limited. I'm sure somehow they are. But if you wanted to attend, if you're in the Brooklyn area, send me a message. You know how to find me, Mark at citizenreporter.org. And let me know, because I can get you in. And it'll be me and two other speakers. I don't have their names in front of me. I'll, uh, I'll have them for you next week. Uh, as I travel around in this region, uh, I have an interview I'm quite excited about next week with a longtime podcaster from the olden, olden days, one of the first. And he happens to live here in the area. So I'm finally going to meet with him and I'll save it for a surprise to tell you exactly who it is. All right, that's it for now. Citizenreporter.org is, of course, the website and the whole back catalog, 454 other episodes. They're all out there for you to listen to. And for those who already have, thank you so much. I'll catch you next week. Goodbye. See you.